It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Voyage. Welcome to Watch This Tonight. I'm your host, Dan Benamore. This is the show for when you're looking at your five streaming services, work is done, kids are asleep, glass of something is poured. This is your time to relax. But you can't figure out what is a good thing to watch. A wrong choice in that moment can ruin your night. When you're in that position, just search Watch This Tonight anywhere you get podcasts for bite-sized recommendations of the best movies, TV, and documentaries to stream. Most episodes are about 10 minutes. First half is spoiler-free, so you can decide if you want to see it. The back half has spoilers, so we can break down the juiciest parts after you've seen the movie, TV show, documentary in question. We also occasionally have special guests and do Watch This Tonight All-Stars, classic movies you can rewatch for years that play different with the passage of time. Those episodes have spoilers. At Watch This Tonight, there's always something good to watch. Let's get started. Today on the show, we're talking about Unforgiven. I was inspired to do this because recently there's been some pictures of Gene Hackman just out and about, which, by the way, really, <laughs> what? Gene Hackman is retired. He's 93. He's super skinny. He looks like an old guy, right? He, he kind of looks a little bit like Clint Eastwood, right? They just get, these guys just get super skinny. And um, it's literally just like pictures of him like going and getting like a chicken sandwich at Wendy's and eating in his car. Like, what, can we leave Gene Hackman alone? Is that, do we need those pictures? Anyway, well, but what was really striking about it, when I see him now, I can't help but think of him as Little Bill and Unforgiven and how physical he was. He, was. he looked strong and he was intimidating. He really always had this like vitality as a performer and just kind of made me start thinking about Unforgiven. And I thought, let me look into Unforgiven a little bit because I did remember that it was sort of the stuff of movie lore that the movie was... Uh, got a bad coverage report. <laughs> and so I wanted to uh, just note that uh, and sort of dig into that. Because I had always heard that, but I, I sort of never knew the details of it. So I went down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to take you down this rabbit hole with me. And uh, this is the making of Unforgiven, which I'm going to read you the whole reader report. It's not very long, and it's really great. <laughs> Originally titled, The Cut Whore Killings. Not, not, you know, you could kind of, it does set a certain mood. I mean, <laughs> it's, I don't know that it, it would have been a different situation if, uh, 
if they released it as the Cut Horror Killings, optioned by Francis Ford Coppola, who wanted John Malkovich to star, according to cinephiliabeyond.org. It was it got a reader's report. Someone found it in her office memo. So credit to the Clint Eastwood archive.blogspot.com. Way to go <laughs> to that site. They actually had the document. I saw it. They scanned it. And um, I'm going to quote directly from this document. This is verbatim what's on the document. It was written by Sonia Chernus. She wrote The Outlaw Josie Wales, and she died in 1990, two years before Unforgiven came out. This is her report on reading the script of Unforgiven, which at the time was called The Cut Whore Killings. Dear Clint, we would have been far better off not to have accepted trash like this piece of inferior work. It is completely lacking in believable and valid characterizations. It is so full. <laughs> it is so full of four-letter words that a longshoreman would be blushing at the thought of using them. And the language makes one wonder whether the writer had any vocabulary to begin with. If this is all he knows, he better go back to school and learn even a simple vocabulary. Also, the basic principles of dramatic writing. I won't even attempt to do a decent summary of this piece. It doesn't deserve my time or yours. I skimmed most of it, <laughs> but I did read the first 40 pages. But those first 40 pages made me so sick, I'm having trouble putting the essence of them down on paper. But to make it as brief and painless as possible, 1881 and a man who is having relations with a prostitute gets furious at her, calls her every name in the book, then proceeds to slice her up, ruining her face, her body, but leaves her still living. Then a group of her friends decide to go after the guy who ruined her, and the story becomes a chase with endless pages of exposition. I don't know what the resolution of the plot is, and I don't care. Neither would you. It is really an insult to this company, which has always had high standards, even to accept a property like this, which isn't worth your time. I can't think of one good thing to say about it, except maybe get rid of it fast. <laughs> it all caps, fast. So... This movie was, of course, nominated for nine Oscars and won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Editing. was added to the U.S. National Film Registry of the Library of Congress in 2004, being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. You know, we, it's funny. There's been such commonality in these episodes. Gladiator, Russell Crowe, uh, kind of talked about, like, yeah, we just fucking made it up as we went along. It's like, and it won Best Picture. Um there's this piece of trivia about The Godfather that I always would see where it was like um, Mario Puzo uh, goes to write, I think, like Godfather 3 or, or Superman. Or he has to write like a screenplay and he goes to buy screenwriting for dummies. And like the first chapter is like study The Godfather. So it just shows to show you that in a way it's it can be a little bit dangerous to think this, right? Because, some you know, plenty of times you'll get bad coverage and it's legitimate. But not every coverage should be taken seriously, even from someone Who's very credible, which, which this you know this person was. She was uh, wrote on the Outlaw Josie Wales, right? I just thought it was hilarious that <laughs> it's such a brutal deconstruction, and it does it does show you though the title, right? If it was called Unforgiven, maybe Sonia is thinking to herself as she's reading the first forty pages. Well, if it's called Unforgiven, there must be something more to it than just you know what it seems like. So. <laughs> I should just give a just a reason why I care so much about this movie. So I've been fortunate enough to work on three westerns, three produced westerns. Um, obviously, none of which are even in the same universe as Unforgiven. Uh, but in, in a weird way, because I love Unforgiven so much, I kind of want one more bite at the apple of making a western so that I have a chance to get closer. Um, but point being, I've studied westerns a lot. 
and um, Unforgiven is such a definitive deconstruction of the Western mythos, right? Because Clint Eastwood is a pathetic shambling bum, um, and he's the hero. Gene Hackman would be the hero in any other Western. And at the end, when Eastwood turns it on and we find out he murdered women and children and anything that lived or crawled at one time or another, Unforgiven is to Westerns what The Dark Knight is to superhero movies. It's saying, what if we take all this stuff that we've sort of taken for granted all this time and we apply reality to it and the ugliness of reality? So Clint Eastwood, instead of being a cool, fastest gun in the West guy, is like a shambling, bum, ex-drunk murderer. And Gene Hackman, instead of being this like tough but fair sheriff, is a sadistic fascist. And, you know, there you go. <laughs> and it's like it's it's so powerful. Um, so anyway, we, we had that obviously pretty negative script report. This is uh, I found this also in my research by Clint Eastwood's own recollection. He was given the script in the, quote, early 80s, although he did not immediately pursue it because, according to him, I thought I should do some other things first. He later said that he waited purposefully until he had the right age and he was in the right place of his career. Biographer Patrick McGillan specifies that it was presented to Clint Eastwood in the spring of 1984 by Megan Rose, a story analyst at Warner Brothers, who Eastwood happened to be sleeping with at the time. This is an extremely questionable piece of information I found on the internet uh, because the production draft is that same year. So that's probably partially wrong, but I just thought it was interesting that that was out there. In respect to Sonia's coverage, so I wrote coverage for a long time. I did what Sonia did for Clint Eastwood. I've done that since that's probably the thing I've done the most in my life. Like I started doing it at probably like 19 or 20 as an intern, and then I did it uh, professionally. Then I, I've been essentially a development executive most of my professional life. So coverage is something I do a lot. Coverage is the idea. You write just a summary of the story and then a summary of the creative merits of it. And you want to be right. You don't want to be wrong. Um, you don't want to miss out on something good, but you also don't want to recommend something bad. So this, Sonia, it's kind of the worst coverage miss of all time. <laughs> but in respect to her, I looked at the production draft of the script. At the end, Clint Eastwood in the movie says, deserves got nothing to do with it, which is this classic, beautiful line. In the script, it said, deserve don't mean shit, little Bill. So her thing about the profanity, it does make you wonder if like, the amount of profanity in the screenplay kind of blinded her to the artistic merits of it, which is something that I think happens a lot. Like I kind of think personally that's like what's going on with Mayor of Kingstown because Mayor of Kingstown, every other word is fuck. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of artistic merit to the show. So uh, according to Yahoo.com, David Webb, David Webb Peoples, who wrote the script, said about the changing of the line, yeah, he changed it because he said it sounded too modern, and I respect that. I originally thought deserves got nothing to do with it, Sounded a little awkward, whereas deserve don't mean shit had a better rhythm. So I felt a little bad about it for a while until I heard people quoting it. When that happened, I realized Clint, knows, Clint knew what he was doing. That's normal for writers. We can react very negatively to any line that changes, sometimes because it's changed for the worse, and other times because it's just different than what we heard in our heads. It's just like the movie's title. When Clint said, what do you think of Unforgiven? I said, that sounds okay, because I didn't have a better title to offer. Lo and behold, all these years later, I realized it's the perfect title. I just didn't know it at the time. So again, you know, this we saw this with Gladiator too, right? Iconic. Stood the test of time. Beautiful, amazing, powerful line. The guy who wrote the script was like, yeah, I don't know. It's, eh. <laughs> I thought my line was better. <laughs> uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Richard Harris was watching High Plains Drifter when Clint called. 
and he kind of thought it was like a joke. Like he did believe it right at first. And Clint said, "Do you want to see the script of this movie that I want you to be in?" And Richard Harris was like, "No, I'll be there." Jeremy Irons was considered for that part, the part of English Bob. And then usually this would be the part where I would talk about some disastrous thing that happened during the actual production. But no, they finished four days ahead of schedule. It was shot in 39 days. So just as a little aside, most of the Westerns that I've worked on were shot in like 12 days. Uh, (laughs) So it just shows you if we had 39 days. Oh, my God. But um, yeah, 39 days, four days ahead of schedule. Clint Eastwood famously does a very limited number of takes. He uh, he asked Gene Hackman to model Little Bill on Daryl Gates, the chief of police during the Rodney King situation, and he referred to, Hackman referred to the scene where Little Bill oversees Morgan Freeman's torture as his Rodney King scene, according to AllTheRightMovies.com. There was an alternative ending, which Clint would cut. He thought it was a beat too long, according to Yahoo.com, and I found it in the production draft of the screenplay, which is available online. So this is the extra scene that's not in the movie. Clint Eastwood just finished murdering everybody at the bar and saying, screaming at the townsfolk, hey, if anybody, you know, comes after me or whatever, I'll kill everyone you know. I'll kill your family. I'll kill your dog, everything, right? So he goes home to, like, the pig farm, and he's talking to his young son, and this is the exchange between Clint Eastwood and his son. Forgive the uh, impromptu dramatic reading. That fella come by, Tom. Tom? The one you rode out after, the one that had the pistol. The kid, yeah. Only was he only he wasn't carrying no pistol this time, and then a bunch of other stuff, and then the son says because he notices Clint Eastwood has come home with a bunch of money. He asks him if he stole it, this money that he's come home with, and Clint Eastwood says, "Steal it? No, I didn't steal it. No, I meant what? Kill somebody? Who said that? Nobody. Only you took your shotgun and that pistol, and before I met your ma, God rest her soul, it used to be I was kind of wicked, drinking spirits and getting into scrapes and all. Only she made me see the error of my ways." And I ain't like I was no more. I guess you didn't kill nobody then. No, son, I didn't kill nobody. So that's what was originally the ending. It's pretty interesting. Clint was definitely right to cut it. It works. It's a good scene. But it's like a hat on a hat, right? We know. We know that already. We know that he, you know, kind of lied to himself. And to uh, this whole time, he was sort of like, oh, I'm not like that anymore. And he's totally still like that. I was thinking about, you know, Clint and his... It's what What it made me think about was that we sort of take... Clint a little bit for granted and he's like really a brilliant artist right and there's just no two ways about it he is and and his results speak for themselves but I think we sort of take it for granted that it's like oh well you know he always does stuff in one take or whatever and and you sort of think is that is like a negative to him but he's made these amazing movies and I was thinking about him versus like a David Fincher who famously has done 100 takes in a scene David Fincher does 26 takes of a guy putting down a stack of cards right and um, both have made amazing movies but it's interesting to note that you know, for Clint, I would say it's almost like every seven movies he makes like an all-time classic, whereas David Fincher, pretty much every movie that he makes is amazing. And so it's it kind of does make you think, like, what's the best process, right? It's, is, this, is one process better than another? I don't know. I would say also the um, the thing that I think is underrated about Clint, and again, it's like it goes back to that reader report, right, where Sonia Turnus was so disgusted, but it's actually – that's not what it's – it's not a disgusting movie. It's actually kind of a beautiful movie. And um, you can miss it if you're not paying attention. So I was thinking about American Sniper. You know, American Sniper, for a lot of people, I, and I think, frankly, a lot of people who haven't seen the movie, was thought of as like this red state, jingoistic, rah, rah, let's kill people, you know, the kind of thing. And that's not what it is. 
at all, in my opinion. If you watch that movie, there's a part in the movie where Bradley Cooper goes back uh, into service, and he's talking about this guy. It's like a rival sniper, an enemy sniper that everybody was obsessed with. and It's like this legendary guy. We got to kill that guy. And he goes back for like another tour of duty, and he mentions him, and no one knows who he's talking about. And it's like you've stayed so long in combat that you it's just it's 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 a commentary on the insanity of violence right which mystic river has that too the futility of violence the stupidity of it right all that stuff is in there if you look for it so you know i kind of finish it as william goldman would say nobody knows anything so in turnus was this very qualified person she worked on rawhide she worked on the outlaw josie wales if anybody was going to understand a western script it's reasonable to assume she would but she hated the script passionately she just hated it so much and missed its greatness. So it does make you think, man, it can be dangerous to think, oh, anybody who doesn't like my script doesn't get it. You don't want to go there, right? If you get the same note five times, you got to start listening to it. But if you get one bad you know, reaction to something you've created, in anything, in anything you've created, don't take that one bad reaction to heart because there's always going to be one person. <laughs> we have a show, I'll just leave as a final note. We have a show called The Hitler File, which I produced, which I'm obsessed with and love. And we have an almost perfect rating on Apple Podcasts, 4.9 out of 5, with, I think, 72 ratings. And we have a bunch of five-star reviews. <laughs> and we have one review that's, um, I think it, the headline of the review is not bad. And then in the body of the review, it says, not that great either. <laughs> There's always going to be that one person. So, yeah, keep making stuff. Uh, I'll leave it there. That is the episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I should be interviewing the writers of Apple Plus' movie Sharper tomorrow. So if you have any interest in seeing that movie, I encourage you to do so. And um, I will be talking to another great um, film and TV podcaster next week. We're going to be doing uh, top three TV series that you haven't you know, been watching kind of under the radar. And I'm also talking to a director who directed a couple of Tom Sizemore movies. We'll have kind of a Tom Sizemore Greatest Hits episode, and he'll obviously be able to share some personal stuff about working with Tom. So that's the content coming up. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.